Thank you, friends, for joining us on episode two of the Opinionated Stance podcast. My name is Patrick Farrar. I'll be your host today. Um, just want to thank you for love, all the love from episode one. Um, I'm very excited for today's episode. I have my guest here, Ryan Irwin. He's a great friend of mine who has been um, one of the great key people in the Chicago Startup Weekend community and just the startup community here in general. Ryan, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Patrick. It's, it's an honor. All, thank you. It's great. Um, why don't you give people a little brief description about your background, and then we can hop into things. Like Patrick said, my name is Ryan Irwin, the founder of Internet Marketing Chicago. I've been involved in the marketing and SEO world for about nine years, uh, various capacities and agencies, in-house, on my own, small company. I really love what I do. I habitual volunteer work, as Patrick mentioned, at Startup Weekend Chicago, WordCamp Chicago, as well as other various organizations that I really enjoy volunteering. That's awesome. So you've been working in agencies for a while. You've been doing different things. What's like the biggest, um, you said you were doing like business development, correct? Correct. Yeah. So what does like, what does business development look like for freelance developers or like a development agency? So I'm a developer. How do I take and get new clients? Like I, I'm just starting out or I may have been transitioning from a different thing. How do I get new clients if I don't know anybody or I'm trying to go into a new market or a new region? That's a great question. Uh, just to be clear, whether you're a freelancer or you're an agency, it, it's essentially the same thing. It's just generally at an agency, you have their credit card and you've got a business uh, expense account. So, you know, no different. Relationship building, much like SEO, is, is a real long game. You know, it's, it's, it's building that relationship. It's giving of yourself. It's providing advice allowing people to ask good questions, providing the help and your expertise, and just adding value to someone, something, or some sort of entity, and not really expecting anything back in the immediate short term. You know, this isn't a tit-for-tat world. It's throw a lot of great information out there, give a lot of yourself and your knowledge and, and help someone and feel good about it. You know, do good unto others and, and you hope that it kind of comes back to you at some point, whether it's next week, next month or next year. Yeah. So how did you start? Like when you started to take and do stuff? Because you've done stuff, obviously, in the WordPress community, you freelanced. How did you like take that first like first step like into like dipping your toe into the pool to see if it's like, Ooh, it's not that dangerous. I'm not going to drown into it. Right. So when I got involved in, in the digital world, there were no degree programs in SEO or it was, you know, learn C sharp and maybe get into a little HTML and CSS. So, you know, coming from the self-taught world, having a somewhat high barrier to entry you know, 14, 15 years ago, I always found a great angle was was through volunteering. How can you say no to someone who says, let me help in any capacity for free? And I ask a lot of questions, you know, maybe too many at times, but, you know, I'm constantly thirsting for knowledge. So, you know, now with the, with the internet, there's so much knowledge at your hand, at hand, you know, it just provides a great platform. So, so for me, knowing that it was a long game and, and knowing that you want to allocate a specific amount of money, whether it's, you know, a membership at a certain organization or, you know, buying that key piece of equipment that'll, you know, kind of propel you to a new level. I really, I, I budgeted, I wrote out a business plan for myself. 
Um, much like in marketing and, and SEO that we'll get into later, you know, I'm constantly looking a year out, whether it's in business, in personal, and then every 30 days, I'm planning again, I'm analyzing what happened in the last 30 days. And I'm either continuing down that path of that plan that I've created, or I'm course correcting and changing right. trajectories. Yeah, so it's like note, note to self, if you're somebody who's like technically proficient, and you're going to do these projects, don't expect everything to come overnight. Like don't think you're going to take and be able to, you know, sustain living right off the bat, like at a salary that you were potentially working at a company and getting in a different role. Like it's going to take time for you to develop that network and cultivate. And you need to almost like, if I'm hearing you correctly, you need to go into it with not an expectation of like want, or I'm going to get, it's just trying to give and by giving and giving and giving, you'll start to reap the benefits and sow the rewards, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I think that's a very, like, that's how I got started into just with like the community here. It's, it's the volunteering. Like, how can you give something back to it? And then eventually, you know, someone's going to say, oh, I know this friend or I know this. And then it comes back to you. Um, that's really interesting. So would you recommend that, say it's a one person job, like you're a one person development shop, like say you're Ryan Co. right? Let's just hypothetically create a company right now um how much time would you allocate towards business development versus like actually working on projects or potentially learning new things is like is it is there a binary number like is there a percentage like oh i'm going to do 30 percent on business development today and i'm going to do 20 percent on this and then 50 percent on like continued learning or is it is it kind of like you have to figure out what's good for you and it changes. I mean, you were talking about the plans, like the 30 day plan and so on. Like, what do you think? So, you know, again, you get what you give in this world, but keep in mind, you need to eat, you need a roof over your head and there's a finite amount of hours in every day. So depending on your current situation, whether you have a family, you're single, you've got, you know, 24 hours in every day of seven days a week. And so for me, you know, I always like to identify what my bread and butter was, what could I crank out in the least amount of time to make the most amount of money. And so that kind of got me my baseline, then you get a good project under your wing, you get some money in your bank account, that's not the time to relax. It's the time to volunteer and give of yourself more. So you know, start out in a 50 50 situation, call it crank out some work, spend half your time giving of yourself, helping other people. And that includes giving away some of your services, you know, right. sitting at a startup weekend, looking at someone's website, I'm not pulling a contract out and saying I'm $150 an hour, right? It's let me help you. This is the, this is how you do this, or I can fix this real quick. You get that wow factor. And then what you do is you've turned that person into a marketer for right. you and your organization. They become an advocate for you. Like, exactly. And so like, I mean, that's what you want is you want to have all these little advocates, not little, but you want to have all these advocates out there helping you to kind of like, build your brand in the community. That's Correct. awesome. So like, what are some common hurdles that one, one must overcome when beginning to get a new client or to book projects with a new client? I mean, from a standpoint of, okay, I got this some person, they're really, really excited. They're on the ropes, they're ready to go. Like, what is the, like, how do you get it from like, 
hey, we're just friends to right. we're actually dating in terms of like a working relationship with this client. Right. And, and, and to be honest, Patrick, that's a great way to think about it. It, it is a relationship, you know, web or just business in general. You know, people want business to be business and keep it professional, but inherently it's very personal because it's your livelihood. It's your baby. It's what you've created. So without oversimplifying it, we'll dive a little bit deeper into each of these, these kind of areas. I think of it in, in kind of two phases. It's about building a foundation of trust on the front end and then expectation management at the kickoff and, mm-hmm. and throughout the entire process. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. But building a foundation of trust, depending on the size of the project or, you know, unfortunately in the web and especially the SEO world, so many people are coming off of bad experiences. Right. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've, I've built a new relationship and, and built that critical foundation of trust when they're coming off of what you what we would say a bad breakup, you know, right. a lot of times it's coming out of rescuing them, you know, rescuing their domain and whatever that may be, uh, that 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 is the most critical. And and through that rescue, through that favor, through that really free advice at that point, mm-hmm. that foundation of trust is is it's there, you know. And maybe they're a little battered and broken, but being open and honest and managing expectations throughout the process. That that to me is is the key to success. So to go into that managing expectations, what do you think do people have reasonable expectations when they go into a project or do you think that it's not fully fleshed out? They know that they need something but don't know how to ask for the correct thing. And when you take in sometimes you get that sticker shock of like, whoa, it's going to cost me $10,000. It's like, yeah, because we're professionals doing this. We're sorry that your cookie website <laughs> was done by an intern at XYZ or something like that, and you got it for $250. I mean, ha- have you been in those conversations, those awkward situations? Or Yes, and, and for me, not being a shy individual, I'm very upfront about things, and whether that kills a potential deal or not, I think it's really important to be open and honest right. with people. So I would say more than half the people or in organizations I interact with don't really understand the way a web project should work because they've gone through it in so many different ways, whether it's offshore, whether it's you know a website or someone in-house that created something that was great at first but not great later. You know, I, I just kind of start from scratch. Right. I, I gather the facts, the information, what they've gone through, try and clarify things if they need, but then really continue down like a, a 101 beginner path, educate them. And it actually serves as a great sales process. Right. It doubles as a sales process. It's yeah, consultative, sure. it's salesy, but not having the feeling of being sold to. Because if I weed someone out just by giving them free advice, then they've saved me time and I've saved them time. And then going back to turning people into a fan of me and my organizations and turning them into a marketer, I've given them that advice. And if it didn't work out for us to have a relationship, that's okay. They can still pass that uh, feedback on. Like Ryan was clear, concise. He was able to take and give like this advice in a way it didn't work out in this relationship for us right now. You know, sometimes it's not going to work out right for everybody, for every situation. So I can definitely see that as one thing. Like if you're, it's, if it's your first project though, like you're just starting to jump into the freelance world, you're going to probably have that like ability, the like 
the nerves to say, I have to take you and say yes to every project. So how does one try to mitigate like the being the overly aggressive, say yes to something and being one that can stick to your like guns and say no, or maybe is this, is that more of like a understand freelancing prior to going into it and have your resources planned and through planning? Or is it just like, you got to take in nut up a little bit. You got to take right. and stick up for what you believe you're worth. So I feel that 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 there you you hit that from two sides. The money side of things or of undercutting on price or I can do it for this and then also the overpromising of your skill set. So I think it's extremely important that you understand what you or your organization can do. Where does your skill set end? And so I always found that knowing that, but knowing where my lifelines are, you know, phone a friend, so to speak, that was really important to me because I'd like to phone a friend. (laughs) Exactly. You have three lifelines. I'd like to say I had some really good lifelines that I could reach out to. And whether I carved off all of my profit or I carved off a piece or I called in a favor from the past, that was really important. So I always felt like my lifelines were an extension of me. And to be honest, when it comes to price, you know, in the web world, there's not a lot of hard costs. You know, you have your hosting, maybe there's some third party software right. that you're paying for. But after that, it your time is the money. So right. I always saw my time as free because you could stay up half the night, you could work on the weekends. And so there was that had value to it. Yeah, but it's never free. Like your time is never free. Like one of the things that I always think of, like if you're taking in whatever I do when I take and negotiate a contract is a the client's going to pay for all the hard stuff it's straight up because that's going to run their business and right. they're also paying for my expertise and it seems like our time's free because it's fun to take and do programming it's but we've had years of you know education that have gone into it experience and so on things not to do like we're a professional so it's trying to figure out a way to like it's tough early on i've been in that situation early on where it's like oh yeah i'll do it i'll do it i'll do it you got to take and almost think of it as potentially those projects aren't free. You're just giving a very heavily discounted rate, right? Like you're giving them a hundred percent off coupon, right? Um, to build and make that. sure they understand that. Yeah. Because the next time it's not going to be, you know, cause I think tough part is like people are like, Oh, can you build my website? Yes. Yes. I can build your website for $300. I'm like, no, I cannot do that. <laughs> well, they're like, why? It's like, well, because my rate starts at $150 an hour, $200 an hour, 500, whatever, whatever the rate is, they don't realize like there's no expectation of what it is to take and get. It's like, it's almost like when you buy a watch for the first time, I'm not going to say like a bad watch, but like if you buy one from the the drugstore, like a cheap plastic one for 10 bucks, and then you actually buy something like a Movado that's thousands of dollars. It's like, okay, it's probably going to work with the nicer watch than the first one, you know? I can kind of equate that to like projects and stuff. You get what you pay for, really. Absolutely. That is a big quote of mine. You really get what you pay for in this world. Yeah, you can have two of the three. You can have it good, fast, or cheap in the software world. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's. I think we're on the same page with that. So like we've talked a little bit about like getting that first project, starting through there. Like what are some things that can be done in that like – setting the foundation phase and then the managing expectation phase that can help get a project to go more smoothly. Um, Just from like getting technical specs, like understanding like 
because you said managing expectations, it's not always about that first project you're doing. You're trying to take and have a relationship for future stuff for benefit of both parties long term, correct? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I there was a book I read about this. There's a whole chapter dedicated to ASAP. Everyone wants everything ASAP. Yep. So I like to pump the brakes in that situation because ASAP on everything actually means ASAP on nothing. Right, because then everything is an important thing. So then if everything's important, what's really important? Exactly, exactly. And I like to say that almost word for word is how you just put it there. You know, really documenting those expectations. A good timeline is very important. You know, whether it's a burn down chart, milestones, however you want to document it, share documents like Google Docs is a great thing to use because everything can everyone can collaborate. It's not emails back and forth. Everything's time and date stamped. So mm -hmm. you know when everything's been updated or if something's been changed. Setting a timeline, again, checking in regularly and really painting a picture of the deliverable. So number one, would you would say is get a timeline. Yes. Get a timeline and have it be seen by all. Right. And okay. be realistic too. You know, you... you, you finish something that requires approval, the next phase doesn't start right away. There's time for the client or the end user to approve it and go back and forth. And right then and there, whether you give one day or 10 days or an hour or 10 hours, I always like to point out where the potential pitfalls are. Okay. Yeah. So like giving like the timeline. So how do you take and do that if you have Potentially, you know that you have a project that's going to take and do 30 working days of tasks, but you have these approval processes in there, and the deadline to do that is 28 working days. The client says, oh, ASAP, it's got to get done. You know that the content you're trying to do is bigger than the bucket of the project, so that's already going to have a misaligned, um, like it's going to have misaligned uh, expectations. You know that to do the project right, do you start to cut things out? Do you take and try to work with the clients to say, hey, this is what you want. We need, it's going to take longer. Like, how do you manage those expectations? I know we've had that happen before. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's, you know, where you can be really efficient. And so at this point in my career, I, I really don't compromise a whole lot because right. I've stayed up all night and I've pulled my hair out and I've stressed and I've worried and freaked out. So I understand. I've seen you pull your hair out before. Yeah, right. It's like, oh my God, it's right. not a good sight. You know, it's just not a good feeling because you don't feel good going through the project. You should be proud of the work you're doing and be able to kind of reflect and look back throughout the process, look forward through the process and feel good about things. But you do know inherently where you can, where you can cut corners and so if i'm going to cut a corner and i'm allowing x amount of hours for testing and i say well you know i can test in all the major browsers right. or i can test in one browser and shave time off get you to your mvp or get you to your launch and then retroactively hit the older versions of xyz browser and maybe that cuts a day off and you know when there's something that's relying on the client you're going to say I'm going to let you have visibility on this before it's actually finished so you can start your approval process and your own QA process before it's completed so you're not just seeing something at the end that'll inherently speed up their turnover time and you know if it's not design and it's more execution sure. I'll cut out that client approval and have them do it in real time right. 
And so, you know, you, you can, you can figure those types of things out. Again, if you're not at the point where you want to push back on the client or you really need that extra cash, you know, loop in another resource. Now's the time to call in a favor that you've put time in for someone else, bring them in and put two devs on a project versus one for even just a small part. Yeah. So do you think that at the end of the, like, we're going back to that relationship analogy, it's got to be both parties have got to be happy. Absolutely. So at the client needs to be happy and the provider needs to be happy. The client obviously can fire the provider and go find somebody else. Uh, in those situations where you're working on things and things are like, oh, you're stressing out, pulling out your hair, is it? Is there any relief? Like, you know, we, you're gonna have to negotiate things in contracts prior to taking and starting any working relationship, but is there any recourse that, hey guys, it's not working out, I'm Ryan here, I'm like, I'm not, it's not working out. Uh, we're going to finish this project up and then be done with our relationship. Is that a situation that developers or anybody in the freelance creative world can take and have? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I see it a lot and I'll always go back to building a good foundation of trust. You know, when negotiating a deal, I think it's important to have an out for the client because it's a good faith thing that says, Hey, you're putting up all this money. Here's how you get out. Right. And so generally I think a good out would be at any time you can terminate this agreement and pay what right. has been done so far. Right. And then that falls on the development side, the, the provider side of things to document their work, mm -hmm. document their time. And whether you're basing it off an hourly rate or what deliverable has been provided, you know, as we all know in development, a lot of the work comes on the front end, a lot of the thought, but a lot of the actual physical deliverable doesn't come until closer to the end. Right. So, you know, you just need to be careful. And again, with a good foundation of trust, expectation management, and really making sure that what they think the expectation is, is what you think the expectation right. is. Get the same expectation. It's anybody has the ability to take and say, to walk away from this relationship. Like, as a developer or as a provider, don't feel like you're obligated to take in. If the relationship is contentious or like things are taking and problems are arising, like kind of goes into my next question. It's like, how do you deal with problems that will arise? Like problems around non-payment or scope creep or project changes, like mid things that we've all seen or dealt with in this world. Um, like what would you recommend for somebody like probably goes back to that contract, like have timelines, have things built out, like, prior in advance managing the expectations, but are there any specific like details or things you can share? Yeah. So again, direct communication is really important. I always like to say when you have one issue, don't turn it into two. Okay. If you're missing a deadline, don't then also be not responsive. If something was due on Friday at five o'clock and it's Monday at five o'clock and you're not replying to the client, you've now turned one issue into two. Yeah. And so really getting out in front of that, uh, you know, I think maybe there are, there's different schools of thought with how aggressive you can be. You know, I'm in some small mastermind groups and some ad ad advanced user groups that are, you know, this issue comes up all the time. Right. Do we shut your site down immediately? Do we pull the plug immediately? Do we continue on? And I'm more of a let's try and work together right. kind of kind of guy. You know, you shut someone's website down, maybe you're putting a detrimental effect on their business. 
And then maybe they can show a monetary loss and then you're involved in a lawsuit. Right. You're a freelancer. Maybe you have insurance. Maybe you chose not to spend the money for insurance. Right. You know, maybe you're in the, the medical space and you're dealing with HIPAA and federal laws. You know, you just you're opening up a can of worms and you're generally picking a fight that you don't really realize who you're fighting against. And yeah. that's just not good. Nothing good comes of so that. Basically, you need to know the unintended consequences of potentially taking action there. What if you're taking in what if something happens from that you're still waiting on like client feedback or like you continually t try to reach out, reach out, reach out, but clients aren't getting you designs or, or something along those natures, like specs or designs or things like that you need to take and execute. You know that it's, you're ready to go. You're at the plate. You're ready to go. You have all your resources lined up, but you're still waiting for the game to start. Right. But there's deadlines that you have to hit that are there. How do you take and address those situations? So generally, clients aren't amazingly respective of your time. You know, we're in a service business, and there's certain things you have to accept, I believe, in this world, mm -hmm. and, and and that's okay, too. Uh, but, I, but I think, you know, it's very important to have face-to-face -face conversations. I'm a big believer in that. Hey, right. let's go grab coffee. Let me show you this. You know, get in front of them. If you can't get in front of them face-to-face, -face, have a phone conversation, and then no matter what, document it sure be having a, a small legal background as a paralegal i got into the habit of at that point writing letters and, and carbon copying lawyers or writing an email and saying just hey memorializing our conversation blah 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 this is what we talked about this is what we expected this is how our process is changing just want to make sure we're on the same page yeah this isn't legal advice this is just a recommendation of something correct. to take like correct this might not hold up in court but this is something that can help you potentially if you need to take and go talk to an attorney so right i call it the clear your conscience email yeah well it's also good to just like are we on the same page kind of thing um do you ever work without a contract? I have. I don't anymore. You know, I've been burned. Yeah. So what made you, like, besides being burnt, what made you take and want to start to take and make things, like, when you're working with, like, not necessarily even just your friend group, too. Like, you need to have a contract. And what? why do you have contracts? So, I mean, contracts are part of that foundation of trust and, and expectation management. Like, like I said, I, I have been burned and, you know, that's okay. It was a good learning lesson. It came right. early on. It wasn't for that much money. And, you know, and in the end, it, it, it taught me a lesson, you know, trust but verify. Right. And so, you know, when trying to get larger clients and bigger ticket items, I felt like you needed to have a contract. And I think really the one of the first contracts I used that was really hardcore was working with a law firm. Okay. And so they really respected that I brought a contract to the table. They had their own contract that I want that they wanted me to countersign. Uh, but when they said to me, 
I don't generally sign contracts without making some change to it. And we didn't need to make a change to your contract. Now, maybe that was because the contract favored them, or maybe they weren't afraid of if I messed up coming after me. I mean, I don't know what it was, but I just, I try and clear my conscience. And so if I can go into something without any fears or, you know, really try and live my life and operate my business with no regrets, I think that's the kind of the best thing you can do in this world. Right, right. So with like freelancing and being a developer and agency and business development is like, you know, it's an overarching term. So when we're trying to find, say, a client or something like that, we're trying to get things out. What types of clients are there available for um, different skill sets, like for developers and stuff? Is it just a one person shop? Are we looking at corporations? Like what? Like what types of contracts are there that can be won and what type of working relationships do you, have you seen or encountered in like your experience and just like friends of yours experience like working with? I, th- I think it's about the exposure that you have or that they have. I mean, I remember when I worked with a, a, a doctor's office, a doctor group, you know, they provided me with like a 20 page contract and I was still kind of small at the time, albeit a very straightforward project. It was a great project. It was mm-hmm. a big ticket item. And I just said, hey, look, you know, what I bring to the table is this, this, and this. Right. And with a larger agency, you're going to pay two to three X on that. But the one issue you're going to have, or not the one issue, but the one kind of item I want to get out ahead of is I don't have a lawyer on staff. I have one on retainer. Right. I'm going to incur. So there's a contract you can be like, you can work on retainer. Right. Um, so there's like, you can have contracts, you can work on retainer. For people that don't know, what is a retainer? So a retainer is you pay a lawyer or, or a law firm X amount of dollars or any professional services. Yeah. yeah. Or, or any you professional could go on services. retainer, right? Exactly. And you essentially have a deal of I'm paying you up front for 10 hours or 50 hours or a service over this period of time. You're essentially on call for that. It's pre reserving you without having necessarily a specific item in mind. So like a developer could get a per project thing where they're saying, we're going to do, we're going to build you this website and it's going to be done at there or a, developer can say negotiate a contract with a company and say like hey we're going to take and buy 20 hours of your time a week and here's your check for that 20 hours of time you do whatever we want you to do for 20 hours if we go above and beyond awesome well not awesome if we go above and beyond we'll take and renegotiate that but so like there's retainer projects there's freelance stuff like one-off project-based stuff Right. Some larger organizations like to know what their costs are for the year. Right. So whether it's a new project and they want, you know, 120 hours in in a year and 10 hours a month, that's great. Or a lot of times it's in a maintenance project. You know, you've gone live and, you know, you're constantly going to be working on something. But, you know, the idea is, is to commit to 10 hours and be in and around 10 hours, give or take, because, you know, you get into this situation where you don't want to be rolling hours over. Right. But you don't also want to say, okay, in that one month, I only used one of 10 hours. I do I lose those nine hours? So it's really, again, going back to those two basic tenets of trust and expectation management. If you're going over or you're going under, then you haven't set a good barometer for your for your retainer. Yeah. And I think one of the big things to think about, too, is anytime you have a contract or a retainer, talk to an attorney, make sure that, 
you hammer out what those expectations are for if you do go under or do go over so you're not um so no one's like again so no one is burned in the end like the client isn't seeing something whoa i went over my allotted hours you're going to stop work for this week like so everybody's on the same page right i think i think clients intentions are good but people in general in business want a deal that favors them right when in reality much like sports gambling the an ideal bet would to ha- be to have 50 percent of the people on each side of the table and that's why they try to have the lines exactly exactly and i think that's a great business relationship when you have everyone gets the fair fair deal and you're getting what you want and I'm getting what I want and it's 50-50 and it's not weighted either way because you know the last thing you want to do is go into a project that you took for less money and then you feel bitter about it the right. whole time. You have to understand that if you're taking it for less money and you're making a little less profit, you got to be okay with that. Yeah, you have to figure out what reasons are contributing to you taking that. Right. So if you could take and tell Ryan of five years ago some advice today, if he was sitting right next to you in that chair about working on his first contract or getting his first client in, and what would you tell him to do? Don't undervalue yourself. You know, if you can feed yourself and pay your rent and have a roof over your head, saying no to something is the best feeling in the world because you know you can do it. And if they don't value your time, money, and effort of what you can make peace with and accept and do your best on, it's okay to walk away because much like in a, in a personal relationship, if it's not a good fit, why waste each other's time? Right. It's hard to say no sometimes, though. It is very hard to say no. Yeah. Uh, but it is a good feeling when you can say no. And, you know, when you're, when you're letting yourself take less money or even get taken advantage of, that's okay if you can make peace with it, or I believe it's okay because, you know, I let people walk on me at times and, you know, it got me a client, it got me a referral, it got me a, hey, look at what I did. Mm-hmm. And that has a monetary value to it. It also I got say. you some experience too. Like exactly. to handle that situation, you may have not gotten put into that right like situation before. Like that's one of the big things for me from working in various different startups over so many different years is yes not all of them are going to pan out to be facebook's or make billion dollar exits or just well exits in general um the biggest thing you can learn from are the mis- not the mistakes but more like the missteps and the opportunities that uh were missed in other startup ideas that you can take and move forward with it's like oh i'm not going to I'm always going to work on contracts right now because I've been burned on the contract or something else before. Like I totally see like, it's tough though. It's like, it's always tough to say no. We always like to have people like us and it's, I think you hit it on the head. It's a business relationship like with people and people are inherently good, but their self-interests are always going to be something that they do. Test, but verify test, but verify. Test, but verify. Get that tattooed on the forehead. Just make sure you spell that correctly. So you said that one of the ways that you got involved um, that helped you grow your network. Like we can say that growing your network and it's going to take a lot of time in business development is a huge thing. You said you volunteered. So you volunteered with what organizations? So I I volunteered with organizations from the, the United Nations Association you know, model United Nations when I was in college and the WordPress world, which is an open source software community. 
uh, startup weekend, uh, volunteer for various charities here in Chicago. And for me, it's, it's a dual benefit. And really, I look at the networking and I look at the relationship building as the positive consequence of it makes me feel good. Right. I like helping people. And when someone benefits from something I know or something I do, it makes me feel good. And, and I think if in general, if people did that a little bit more, we'd live in a better place. But that's a whole nother podcast. Episode. That's yeah, probably a different. But but you know, for me, it's it, again, you, you give of yourself. And, and I think it pays back tenfold at, at some point, And it all evens out in, so, in this world. So you're telling me that you volunteered for things that were non related to your career that helped you you kind of had two different scenarios. Like there were things that you volunteered for that were career related with like startups and stuff that showed your technical prowess in SEO and right. business development and WordPress, like the technical proficiencies, but you also volunteered or were around people that in different capacities that were more philanthropic that there wasn't talking about your technical prowess. So like you're, right. you're almost advocating just getting out of the, you know, the code dungeon lair, uh, right. Master command center, get off world of Warcraft and be out there. So that's the big, biggest ways you need to take in. No one's just going to take and throw contracts at you. You need to get out there and have your face known and be contributing. Right. Right. But the, and the positive consequence of that is especially in a larger organization, it's, Oh, that's Ryan. He's website SEO. You know, everyone says that's a buzzword of SEO and a lot of people don't know what it means, Okay, but I was happy to be known as about as the SEO guy in, in a world that had nothing to do with the web. Okay. And then there's that instant trust factor, much like, you know, weekly networking groups or rotary or, you know, whatever you choose to spend your free time in, you know, they're, they're or a chamber, whatever that may be. You know, there's generally these people that represent these types of businesses whose direct use in that organization is, is for the web or for SEO, or they do marketing or they're the plumber or they're the whatever. And, and so again, I always thought it was kind of a positive consequence right. is that's how, you know, people it's like, Oh, he's the, the, the general contractor. And, and so if, you know, I was going to go build something, he'd be the first person I engage for in advice. Right. And if, and if it was a good fit, great. And if not, we would have had a good enough relationship that he'd say, I'm too much money or you don't need me use this person. Right. But then I owe that guy metaphorically because it's just, that's what you do. You know, it's, I scratch your back, you scratch my back right. kind of world. It's like you became previously like the yellow pages you turn to plumber and see, okay, this is the plumber I know. And so like, Oh, this is the professional that I know just by being around in the ether. Exactly. So like, so get out of the get out of the code dungeons and stuff like that, and just be out there because that's how you make your name for it. It's you have to build a personal brand, um, and trustworthy, and it's going to take time. So I think the moral of the story from what we're gathering, like on this side of the microphone, is it's not an overnight success. If it is an overnight success, it's probably too good to be true. And I hope right. you had a contract that you've negotiated, right? Because you're probably doing something illegal, maybe. Right. Um, or too many eggs in one basket, yeah. you know, be diverse. There's shouldn't be something that you think is too small for yourself. Okay. And, you know, again, there's, there's, there's things that, you know, there's value in not charging someone and nickel and diming them for, right. for something or, you know, in an emergency, you know, yeah, 
take a few extra weeks to pay me. Maybe I'm net 30, take 60 days. Okay. And, and that's definitely led to me being taken advantage of and getting burned. But more often than not, it's building up a great trust. And, and if you never see that person again, it wasn't meant to be, and maybe you lost some money. Uh, but again, more often than not, it, it pays back at sometimes. You know, people have really helped me out, and I try and help them out too. And, and I just, I just think it's an I scratch your back, you scratch my back kind of world. And if you apply that to business, it, it, you come out ahead in the end. Yeah, you talked about net thirty. Um, some people don't know what that is, but I'm going to take and try to take it one step back. Um, when you're starting as your own, cash is king. Like having a cash flow and projects, you need to get paid, and you get, try not to get burned. What are expectations on? like getting actually paid, like how does one take in, if you have five projects going and they all end at the same time, you're going to get, you know, let's say, let's say they were all $5,000 projects. You're going to get $25,000 right there paid around the same time. Like if you don't have a new project to go into, how do you take and make that 25 last to the next one? How do you manage cash as a cash flow for, um, that business because you got to eat you got to go to the movies you got to have fun you have to have, do all that stuff like what is your experiences around that yeah so we'll take it in two pieces so when you talk about a single deal and you're talking about a pay schedule i think as you get larger companies want to pay you on net 30 60 90 or even 120 and the bigger organizations believe it or not which i still can't get over want you to take a haircut on pricing okay so, so net 120 just i know net it, 120 days so four months so that four means months after you've delivered the project you're after you or after you've invoiced them okay so you might have a fifty thousand dollar contract out net 120 so you might be done you think you should get paid immediately, but you might not get paid $50,000 for, you know that that's on the books, but it might not come for another four months. Correct. And I've encountered okay. large organizations that say, oh, you want to get paid in half that amount of time? Well, you're going to have to knock 5% off your bill. And then you're in this situation where you should have known that ahead of time, right. one, because you had a contract, but two, you know, you're in that, you're just in a bad place. It's just, it's just not a good feeling. And, and in software development, you look at the life cycle of a project as 100%, and that first 25%, say, you've given, and if you had to end the project at that point, you've maybe incurred 50 or 60% of your costs right. in time and value. Expenses. Expenses in that first quarter of the right. contract, because that's just how software and web development works. You so, got to get the servers. You got to get exactly. certs. You got to get all this stuff up. Yeah. And that, and even just starting up things, there's a lot of value in that because there's people that can build sites but don't know how to spin up a server and right. what stack are you using and and how how are the site speeds and and what infrastructure do you have? What's the portability? Where am I hosting it? Are you hosting it? Is it developed online, offline, internally? Who owns the code afterwards? Are right. you licensing it? Is this something that is? I'm building it. Is it bug free? Is this tested? There's a lot of questions that are there. Speaking of a small small tangent on licensing, I think a great part to a contract is to say that the license transfers to the pay the payer upon completion of final payment. Right. Because, because then you own it at that point. Right. And if you don't get paid, you still own that. And then you can you have 
you have recourse against that if there's necessarily to be legal action. I'm not saying that this is legal advice, but you have, you know, I'm not an attorney, so talk to an attorney if you're in this situation, but you might be able to use that as right. leverage in developing a case. Right, especially if there's like design involved and you, you know, maybe you're not handing over the PSD, the Photoshop file with the actual design original, right. but your deliverable shows a PDF or a screenshot of what the, the design looks like mm -hmm. and they fire you and go ha offshore and have someone build that, right. you know, then again, not giving any legal advice, but, you know, just try and protect yourself and use common sense. And I think that's a good gateway to saying, to go to a lawyer with a contract and say, here's how I operate. Here's my thought process. This is what I think is right and wrong. Where am I, where, where is that legally? And how do we document that to protect me? Right. So to avoid eating ramen while you're waiting those net 120 days, right? what do you do? Do you potentially like augment your contract that has milestones in there? Well, like that you have payments that come like progressively during it. And then you have a big payment at the end. I know I've done that in the past and it's worked out very well. I tend to do also payable upon completion 100%, but I work with smaller people sometimes. So it, it, it all depends. But for me, I found that when you get to net 120, you're generally dealing with a major player Yeah, and that's worth the financial strain because you know on that 120th day a check is coming in the mail sure. or direct deposit is going to be there they're not going to go 122 that's just how their operation right. works uh, but but in general you just you just have to weigh the the cost benefit so when i outsourced work whether it's a whole project or pieces of it I wanted to be different because there's a lot of people that build websites and there are a lot of people that do SEO. Right. And the way I was different is that I paid upon completion, right. which is very unusual because most people tie their contractor payments to their own payments. Mm -hmm. So I would paid upon completion out of pocket because I was prepared for it financially. And then I was the first one in line and had the most loyalty of my contractors yeah. as a result of that. Yeah, so you're hiring subcontractors. You were the client in that situation. Somebody else was providing you a service. So you were offering middleman services to a larger project, more or less, right? Correct. Yeah, that's cool. So like in just like... If you have five projects going on, is it better to like have the completion dates to try to like end like so instead of getting 25k once to have it be 5k a month in terms of like have projects end so you have that or you are we suggesting that people that are trying to do this go to talk to like a financial planner an accountant or somebody that can take and have them understand because once you get that 25k you have to pay taxes on that. Like people can see that, okay, 25K, I can buy a nice Toyota Corolla and just like cruise up and down uh, Lakeshore Drive here right. in Chicago. But that's not the case. You had to have like good financial planning yes. involved. So, like, how do we take and stay out of the poorhouse in terms of not eating ramen, but also not have people um, coming after us? Yeah, so uh, disclaimer, I'm not an accountant. Nor am I. This is just opinions. <laughs> this is just opinions. But what I have found is it's a little bit more paperwork up front. But if you can function as a W-2 employee, meaning you're on salary for a project, okay, 
I find they're taking the taxes out. So that's sure. that's ideal. You know, if it's a six month project or more, generally that's pretty easy to do. Uh, pretty easy to swing, in my experience, a company to, to get you to just put you on the payroll. And, you know, you don't necessarily need benefits. Sure. Um, again, this is not true legal. And this is this advice. is going to be like potentially situations where this is one way you can do it. Like another great way is doing a 1099 contract and just invoicing at the end for expenses purposes. You just, when you're a 1099 contractor, that means you're responsible for paying the tax. Right. So you get a hundred percent of those funds. I believe if you make $500 or more, you have to fill out a W nine with them. And what that means from what I understand is they're then going to report your payer is going to report that income to the government. So that's the double check. So when you file your taxes, the government's going to know that you made that money. You know, you can offset that with hard business costs. Mm-hmm. But, you know, generally you want to understand what tax bracket you're in. So if you're you're in the 25%, I'm making that up. If there's a 25% tax bracket, every time you get a check, you want to carve off like 25 to 30%. That's how that's how I did it. Um, a little bit more overhead, you can get an accountant or accounting services that will, you will say, I just got a $10,000 check. They'll say, write this check to the federal government, write this check to the state government, and you've now paid all the taxes on that money. And in that situation, especially if you're not uh, running a super slim operation, any expenses you have, you know, whether it's software or um, you can depreciate the value of, of equipment. Again, these this is just all from my experience and accountants and professionals will tell you the exact. Um, I'm a firm believer in not taking any chances. You know, I'll right. deduct what I'm told is legal to deduct and anything that's in a gray area isn't worth the headache for me. Right. Um, and then maybe you'll get a refund at the end or you know, whatever it's cover your conscience, right? Going back to the, exactly. Yeah. Don't do anything nefarious or unethical or illegal. Um, like I think just to sum up the whole thing of just like this whole business development section kind of things, we can come up with like a, probably a list of, I'm going to use my fingers. Hopefully we don't go to two hands of important things that we've learned here. Um, but one of them is network, get out and network and understand, that that's how you're going to take and develop new clients. Um, it's not going to come. The second thing is it's not going to happen overnight. Um, it's going to take time for you to network and people understand who you are out there um, in the base of like, this is Ryan's an SEO guy, Patrick's a web app developer or a music production or so on. Um, protect yourself, get contracts. It's not only to protect yourself. It's to take and ensure that the relationship is strong. Get an accountant and understand the taxes and pay for these professional services because it's all about protecting you, covering your conscience there. Um, always work with good faith efforts. Like you always put the best forward, hope to do well. Um, know that there's going to be issues, right? There's going to sometimes be issues that come up um, when working with contracts, but negotiate things, get things in writing. So it's a win-win relationship. You should never be, there should never be tension in a contracting relationship of, uh, when you're taking and working on it. Um, I mean, you're all out there for the end game is like working, s- solving a problem, right? Correct. Yeah. So 
That's really exciting. I mean, I think that's some really good advice for people. And if you have more questions or anything, feel free to email me and we can take and follow up with that afterwards. Um, just kind of segueing into this next topic. Um, you mentioned SEO, um, that you've done SEO and all these different things. Um, for people who don't know, what is SEO and why is, why is it important? Why is SEO important for businesses? Like this internet is going to be this thing that's going to be cool. I mean, we get cat photos on there and stuff, but it could be used to help businesses. <laughs> Those cat photos, people yeah. love them. Can businesses go on the internet and take and help sell products and services there? Absolutely. Okay. So I know I'm being, I'm joking on that for, to make laughs and everything, but so like, what is SEO? Why is it important? Like, what is this? What is internet marketing? Why do we do it? Why, why do, what benefits can businesses have and why is it good to pay a professional potentially to do that? So SEO is search engine optimization. You know, we, we talk about search engines. Clearly Google's the biggest one. It, you know, almost become a generic name when you're searching the web, you say Google it. So I'm going to use that for all intents and purposes. And, and ah, uh, uh, like Google. Yeah. <laughs> Googly. Um, and so, but, but, what that is, is, you know, when you search something on a search engine like Google and you're looking for a web professional, it, it provides a list of results. And so Google's been out there for a long time collecting information. And so the way Google collects information feeds the search results. And so if you want to appear in the search results, you need to provide the right kind of information to Google's spiders, crawlers, bots, lots of different names. But Google is constantly crawling the web with their soft, with their servers and infrastructure, looking to consume more and more information. Because the more information they have and the more accurate the result they serve for an individual's search, Ultimately, they're providing a great service to the web for free, but that's their business model. They have paid search, you know, so paid SEO would be called pay-per-click, okay. PPC. Um, generally, that's at the top three results. It'll say ad. It'll be clearly signified or down the right-hand side or even at the bottom of a page on on various web properties, they'll carve out space for Google ads called AdSense, where you can actually host your own ads and, and generate revenue like that. Um, but, but SEO is essentially, I, I, I like to call it an art form because okay. this Google search algorithm was created by Larry Page at Stanford. Is a great read. His It's called PageRank is his... Stanford computer science thesis, like a 65 page document. And it really gives the kind of the crux of the Google search algorithm. You know, there's things that are public knowledge are part of the algorithm, not a whole lot of things, you know, uh, things like securing your website with an SSL certificate. Mm -hmm. So that nice little green lock symbol shows up there. Uh, things like having a mobile friendly website, sometimes known as adaptive, responsive, mobile friendly, whatever that may be uh, those are those are certain factors ada compliance so you know 
alt tags on images, meaning, you know, an individual who has visual impairments can't see the image on your website. But by using that tag that describes that picture, you've then become ADA or Americans mm -hmm. with Disability uh, Act compliant. You know, that's also part of that algorithm. And then there's what, what SEO professionals know based off their experience, based off their own tests, based off their own knowledge. And there's just the, that, that unknown. Uh, but by creating a strategy for your website, starting from before you've put it up on the web to ongoing, as I mentioned earlier in, in, in the show about having a plan for your business, having a plan for your site is extremely important. Always be looking out 10 months, planning, okay. looking at the past 30 days and analyzing, and then executing on your new strategy, your course correcting, or continuing down that path. That is what SEO is. It's, it's an art form. Okay. It's an art form. So let me take in, like, create a hypothetical situation, an extremely hypothetical situation. Let's say I am a, I love flowers, okay? I'm a, I own a floral shop, Patrick's Flowers, you know? Big beard guy like me, you own a flower shop. It's going to work out perfectly, okay? It's a good look. Yeah, it's good. I have one location here. I'm looking to open up my second location. I've got a website um, but I do a lot of foot traffic and things in there. Are any, are there any fail safe approaches for me to get the best results? Um, or do variables to change? Like, is there any fail safe approaches for me to take in, like have more people come to a, my first shop and then potentially my second shop, like to help build my brand? Or is it like if somebody says, Oh, I'm going to take in, you can pay me a hundred bucks. And I'll get you on the top of Google. Should I take and do that? Or so anyone who makes promises, again, this is all my own opinion as it's an art form and there's not a whole lot of right, definitive rights and wrongs. Any definitive promise of top of Google search one run in the opposite direction. Why? Alarm bells ringing. Why is that the case? Because there is no fail safe technique that will guarantee you that. It's, it's a tortoise in the hare situation. Slow and steady wins this race. But one step further, slow and steady gives you the best opportunity to win that race because there, is, there are some, you know, democratic principles, so to speak, in, in SEO. But, but, you know, the bigger companies and the high domain authority organizations and websites are, are far ahead. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to catch up. And when you mess up, it can be detrimental. When they mess up, it doesn't affect them as much because they're already, you know, think of it as a, as an av as a running average. You know, if you're an A student and you fail a test it's not as detrimental to your overall average as if a C or a D student fails a test. Okay. So there's, there's terms in Google or not Google. There's terms in like the SEO community. Um, I know about SEO. I'm just trying to get you to explain more stuff here. So I'm going to have a question here. That's more specific. Um, you can have providers that are doing white hat techniques and black hat techniques. Can you delve into a little bit more about a, what a white hack white hat um, SEO practice looks like and a black hat SEO and potentially some of the um, positives and negatives to pros and cons to each strategy. Um, you could probably, why don't we start with the black hat stuff first? What is like, what is the black hat strategies? 
Well, let's all keep in mind that Google didn't become worth billions and billions of dollars by not being very smart. And so they started off smart. They're considerably smarter now. So the word black hat came from certain manipulations that at one point were very effective and kind mm-hmm. of what, what, what people call game the system. And so there were black hat techniques like keyword stuffing, you know, having a, a term you wanted to rank for on the page, you know, hundreds of times, and maybe it was put in white text on a white background. So the user on the web page didn't know, but Google was consuming it when they were crawling the website and, and said, well, God, if it's on, if flowers are on here 500 times and it's on it five times on it's another a site, that's a flower page. Let, let's serve that up as a result on flowers. Uh, but but Google's moved into the the what's called the semantic web, semantic search. What's the intent of the searcher? If I'm if it's Friday night at seven o'clock and I search for pizza, I probably don't want the Wikipedia page for pizza and yeah. understand the history of it. You want those Papa John coops and you want to get it in hot and ready really fast. Exactly. And I want the closest location to me. Right. I don't want a California location if I'm here in Chicago. Unless it's California Pizza Kitchen. Exactly. And, which isn't real pizza. Well, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but you know, so, so again, Black Hat was kind of that like calculated manipulation and and my belief even when people could get away with it so to speak is that you 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 gotta do what's right in this world and hope that you get rewarded for it okay so you know there's there's what's called algorithm updates they name them kind of like storms after various letters like like hurricanes and snowstorms like. all have like those weird like people names like Hurricane George or Hurricane Irene I remember at one yeah. point and so some of the famous updates for the Google search algorithm some are announced ahead of time some are announced after the fact things like penguin and panda those I love panda I love pandas too yeah. who doesn't love a panda White I mean panda. I want to sit and eat bamboo all White day panda got to love it <laughs> love it but but you know you know, they really just, they punish the people that were manipulating. They punish those black hats, you know, white hat or gray hat. You know, you do everything that Google says you can do and you go right up to that line. But don't be looking back at that line as a black hat because you're playing with fire. Okay, so playing with fire. So I'm the business, I'm my flower shop hires a guy who promises me to get onto the top. He's using black hat techniques. What can happen to me, my business, my domain? So... Patrick's flower, random website, patrickflowers.com. If somebody, if I hire somebody to do these and they use these black hat techniques, what's going to happen to my website? Am I going to be removed from Google? Like, am I ever going to be able to Google again? Um, Is the whole internet going to take and void me completely? Like you're going to go googly eyed. That's for sure. uh, (laughs) Yeah. So there's, there's generally two buckets of, of what can happen on the negative side of things both having different levels of impact for a business. So in a flower shop business, you still have your brick and mortar store and you still have foot traffic. Mm -hmm. So an online business, for example, if they get punished, they, I mean, you could be debt. It could be detrimental, you know, only direct traffic will go to a website. So there's what's called a manual penalty and there's just falling down in the results. Right. So Google's algorithm serves search results. 
statistically speaking, the statistics are always changing, so I'm not going to quote a number, but most people other than SEO professionals don't look past page one. And a lot of people don't even scroll down the page. Really? So you're really looking like the first one to five results are the most important six through nine are kind of below the fold on most side screens. So if you're, if, if the Google algorithm automatically punishes you autonomously that you, you can look at it as a punishment or not having your search results served as high as a competitor or mm -hmm. someone in the same space. So that's one form of, of a penalty. So you're not, you're not doing something or you're doing too much of something or it's not natural. Your results won't be in a, in a favorable position. So, you know, whether they kick it to page two or 10, you're just, you're just not on the front page, which, which is not so good. Yeah. Cause no one's going to see on general, like, if they're trying to serve, like look at flower shops near me and I'm not showing up because I took and did stuff. So right. potentially you could be out, like my flower shop could be out the money that I paid this guy. And also it could be hurting me from him. So I could be out, not just the tangible dollars of the contract. I could be out losses, like potential losses and profits future because no one's going to see me. Correct. Correct. And not to get too technical or too into the weeds, but if you're, you know, the things are based off again, semantic intent as well as location. And so if, if I'm the flower shop in this part of the city of Chicago, maybe we're even on the same internet connection because we're in the same building mm -hmm. and someone searches for flower shop and they send you to someone a mile away, you generally should have been that earlier search result or at least showed up on the map or the what I call like the the snack pack three pack that um, you know industry folks like to, to refer to you know then you're realizing well hey that would tell an SEO professional maybe you're doing something wrong let's do a a, a post-mortem on your website or on your presence maybe your you know no index no follow tag got got put in by accident yeah. and you're you're removing yourself and Google's not punishing you. So again, there's automated ways that the algorithm's going to filter various search results. Um, and then there's what's called a, a manual penalty. It's you you know putting in put your site in, in what's called the metaphorical sandbox. 2 minutes slashing. Exactly. You get you go to the penalty box. Exactly, and feel but shame. really not a 2 minute minor, more like a 5 minute major. Okay, so you can have that's like that's bad. That's like someone on the Google web spam team actually looked at your site, saw something they didn't like. Maybe you were reported. Maybe you weren't. That's a, a gray area process. There's not like a formal way of, of discussing that. But it's a self-policing almost. Exactly. Like taking and looking at their content to make sure that they're providing people with the best services possible from a Google standpoint, because they have a brand to uphold. Exactly. You know, there, and then if you will look in your search console and analytics, there'll be a message that says in the few instances I've come across this, you're, you're being manually removed from the index for X, Y, Z reason. Um, and generally you're going to want to remedy that immediately and hope and pray that you get back in and that they allow you back in. So if there's been things that you can get blacklisted your domain and that's almost like a kiss of death, are there things that if you have, um, like fall into, like you get, like you may not know that you're working with somebody using these practices, right? Um, they say that they're going to do this. You're seeing results in six months on the road after you've paid them, you find out that you're no longer there. Is there 
a way that a business could potentially like recover from that, like get back onto Google's good graces with that? Yes. And, and again, that, that simple notion of telling the truth is, is very critical. Hopefully it's an outside organization and it's not an in-house employee that did something wrong that caused this. So let's play out that scenario. You've hired someone and you're paying for the platinum package of, I'm going to get you ranking on Google high up on the, on page one or page first result. And you, you find yourself manually excluded from the index. Maybe you plagiarized your competitor's website and you're portraying their content as your own. So walking through that process, you get manually excluded. You're the business owner. You're the marketing manager in-house. You realize it. Probably are going to sever the contract based off of XYZ mm -hmm. legal reason that I'm not going to confirm or deny. And you you then reply to this message and say this is what happened this is what i'm doing to remedy it this is what i, I this is what i would do and and this is what i understand to be the problem this is what i plan to do to remedy it am i missing anything what are my options can i expect to get back in there and again be very open and honest right. and Now's the time to name names. You know, I was using this company. You know, maybe even provide your contract. Provide Whatever you can do, yeah, yeah to, to document and back up what you're saying. And then again, hope and pray. You know, and in, in, in the few situations I've seen this, they've been remediable situations. And within a couple of months, you know, you're back in. And, and then, you know, hopefully, you know, you, you, you get back to the position you were at. I mean, big, big, major multinational corporations have gotten these wrist slaps and it's taken them a while to, to mm -hmm. get back in. So that's the more of the black hat side of the things. That's the negative like thing where you don't want to look at um, where you can have really, really pretty severe penalties for it. Like. It may not be direct, like you're losing money in terms of like Google's finding you thousands of dollars, but there's indirect um, consequences that happen potentially of getting blacklisted using those techniques, those black hat techniques. Right. I mean, think of a really extreme example like Amazon. Okay. If they if they're down for ten minutes, it's millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. Yeah. So that would be very extreme. You know, if you're a if you're a brick and mortar store that doesn't sell anything online might have a less detrimental effect. But you know, nowadays the internet serves as reputation management, right. you know, I'm not doing business with someone personally or professionally. If they don't have a website, right. why don't you have a website right now? You right. know, I'm, I'm just asking questions. We live in such a judgmental world. You have seconds to form an opinion about someone, something or some entity. Yeah. So what is a white hat technique? What are, what is white hat and why, why is that beneficial? And I know you were talking a little bit earlier, you said about the tortoise and the hare methodology or the analogy there. So what is what in these scenarios? Like so SEO is is a long game. There's a good foundation. There's things, there's set it and forget it things that you do out of the gate, or if you're coming onto a new project that you test, verify, and remedy. And then there's an ongoing plan. So take that first piece of a good foundation you know, you want a great, clean, lean code base. So Google, again, we people have very short attention spans. Mm -hmm. So little things like page speed, how quick when you hit on that Google search result, does your site page 
you know, load. I, I always, and I talk, say this to clients for years and years, I think back to my high school counselor who said, do that one extra activity and do that one extra thing. Because if there's one spot in that college to get into, and there's someone with your exact GPA and grades and everything, and you've got one more activity, you're going to be the one that gets it. They would have been a not. horrible programmer in that <laughs> scenario because that one extra activity takes that page to load 10 times longer potentially. Exactly, exactly. And there's there's lots of shortcuts. You know, things like, you know, if, if, if you're an SEO professional and you come to a new client and their site's not mobile friendly and mobile friendly would be defined as passing the Google mobile friendly test. Okay. So, you know, someone says something and someone says another, it, it doesn't matter. If Google doesn't recognize that with responsive styles or a mobile subdomain or whatever that may be and you're not mobile friendly, you're going to get not punished necessarily. You can look at it as a punishment or not rewarded as much as you should be. And so someone who has a mobile friendly website in your same space, all other things the same will be higher up. Um, Securing your website with an SSL certificate, whether you're selling something or there's a transaction or or not, having that SSL certificate, secure socket layer certificate is extremely important. Prices have come down on that. There's free SSL certificates available through many organizations. Google that. Get a free (laughs) SSL certificate. Um, And again, various other things. Again, not trying to dive too technical, uh, but, but there's a lot of set it and forget it techniques that you can do on page. Then off page in the short term is is let yourself be known. If you're wanna show up in Google, use Google's business registry. Use Google Maps. Make sure that your entity, whether it's brick and mortar or not, is in there. Then you could take take advantage of other various directory listings. You know, if you're a law firm, make sure you're on the various legal mm-hmm. directory websites. And these are things to do that are non-paid to Google. You're not buying advertising through them. No. This is you're just taking and covering your basis on the internet that things may help you to rank higher. These are non-paid. You may pay somebody to do these that are unaffiliated to Google, but this isn't Google ads. Correct. Google's rule of thumb is you shouldn't be paying for links. But if I create on you know, the major legal directory, my my company's name, biographical information, and the website and someone uses that directory as a search engine like it's supposed to, they may find that website through Google. They might find you through that legal directory website, and then they're going to click on your link back to your website, and then, boom, they're on your website. And that's PageRank. That's Larry Page, one of the founders of Google, working for you. You know, you you have so many links. Like uh, SEO and link building, it's like a popularity contest. Voting for that popular kid. If I've got 10 links coming into me and you've got two, more people are saying, I'm 10 people voting for Ryan. Listen to him. Yeah, it's an endorsement based. um, It's endorsements. It's like you're getting artificial endorsements. Exactly. And to take it one step further, those endorsements are weighted. So if I'm a lawyer or let's say I'm a doctor in the Mayo Clinic or the National Institute for Health is linking back to me versus, you know, Bob's Bob's Healthcare. Exactly. We always went to Bob's. I don't know why, but you know, dot org dot com. I mean, that's just that's a weighted rank. Right. 
Yeah. And so yeah, so so that that's that's the the sh- the short term keeping links links aside. And so when you if you if giving that advice to the freelance SEO or or even a web developer, you should mm-hmm. have an understanding of SEO. Cover your baseline bases. But in But the- are there some applications that you're developing that you don't want to have SEO? Like Maybe you're taking and developing an application in the banking space where you have pages, but you don't want them to be indexed. Like, are there scenarios where you would work with a client to say, hey, like everybody wants to have search engine optimization. Is there a de-searched engine optimization where some businesses don't want to have every page indexed or crawled? Right. So, you know, there's several ways of doing that you know you can what people call gating their content okay you know a physical password to the site or the server will physically through software through hardware block google and and any other search engine from crawling and and what's called indexing that website kind of like a think of it as like the new age dewey decimal system card catalog uh, and then there's software techniques that that say what's called a no index and no follow tags mm-hmm. that will say to Google, don't follow that link or don't index this page or this entire website. Uh, but keep in mind that's just a suggestion. Right. It's not a you know a, a hard stop. So if you have an application that you're building and you're trying to take in work with like potentially sensitive data. Google might crawl it, but there's there's ways that you can take and exclude yourself. Like basically say, yeah, I don't want you to talk to me. Right, or and there's ways it. of specifically excluding it so they physically can't. Right, that's cool. That's good because like that's another that's another business that is huge. Like yeah. there's banks and different things, different things of that nature. There, dark webs, you know, many <laughs> many times the size of, of of the regular internet. And dark web doesn't necessarily mean nefarious or bad, although it does have that connotation but it's you just, need to wear your tinfoil before it logging in right you need a skiff you need a <laughs> copper line lead line room to, <laughs> to to take it all out but you know it's 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 really about what is the purpose keeping in mind that you know you cross a server you get indexing google whatever that may be that's forever you know yeah. you're never going away from there so the internet is written in pen yeah, I, I Encrypted mean, pen. at some points yeah. along the way, you know, you have to think about it again, diving, not going to dive way too deep or get into conspiracy theories. And, and also like internet safety and stuff like that. Absolutely. But, you know, you pull up your computer, you're on Wi-Fi and Starbucks, you know, you're hitting many, many servers, satellites, undersea cables and whatever. And people are listening everywhere, consuming and documenting that data. Yeah. So you always have to think about it, kids. Yeah, don't. You never know. Like it may be on your phone, but it's still the internet. It's all connected. Yeah. Um. Back to like the flower analogy. Like m- one of my last questions here is: There's people that obviously do SEO optimization services for businesses that are good natured that are doing it in the white hat strategy. There are people that are doing it in the black hat strategy. How does one take and differentiate between that when you're hiring services? Like I may have thought that. I was buying the platinum plan from somebody who was really, really good at what they not not really, really good at what they were doing. They were above reproach. They right. were doing the white hat strategy. How can businesses take in, um, like almost uh, identify whether somebody's doing it for good reasons or bad reasons? And then if you do find that, how does uh, one continue to have that relationship? Is there is there a time that SEO is ever done? 
So it's so no, definitely not. Slow and steady wins that race. And you never when do you really win completely? You know, one client, 10 clients, a thousand clients. I mean, you you're in business indefinitely. So it goes back to those two initial points of good foundation for trust is a good way to start and then managing expectations on an ongoing basis. So talking through, you know, gold, silver, platinum plan. So yeah, I'm on the platinum plan. I mean, I'm a, I'm an existing business. I have a website. I'm engaging someone for their platinum plan. No, right. you know, all, no strings or um, pulling out all the stops. I'm going to pay what they're asking. You've got your, you, it's, it's two phases. It's one do an audit. They're going to analyze your site. They're going to say, these are the things that you need to do that are set it and forget it to get your code up to speed, whatever that may be, get you into the directories you need to be get gotten into. And then you're at your baseline. And then on an ongoing basis, whether you're paying monthly, yearly, whatever, a la carte, it, content is king. You, there's, there's no manipulations anymore. So once you've got your good foundation, it's about creating fresh, relevant content and consistently publishing because you have to constantly draw people to your site mm-hmm. And you also have to feed Google new and new, more and more information. You Keep know, them interested in wanting to take in. Exactly. You know, think of what sites are being constantly updated, like a Wikipedia, for example, right. which I personally believe people should donate to because it's a free open source project, extremely, extremely well. That's not an endorsement officially from anyone or anything. That's just my personal belief. But just think about Wikipedia. It's constantly being updated. So if Google wants to serve the most accurate result, maybe a world event happened and they want to know what's being updated in Wikipedia. So they're constantly crawling that because they know content is constantly being updated. Versus Bob's Wikipedia, which is his own offshoot of it, which may not be updated because... Only Bob is updating it. Exactly. But, but you know, if Bob's updating it every Wednesday at one o'clock and it's drawing attention, Google will say to itself, and again, this is my assumption and from my experience, well, let's come back once a week on Thursday or Wednesday night and consume Bob's new information so it can serve that search result. And so you want to, it's not about quantity, it's about quality and consistency and quantity will follow. So when I, when I tell businesses is, is if they're going to create the content in house in a total consultative process, I'm going to say, okay, how often are you going to blog? We're going to blog every day. Well, you're probably not from my experience. Yeah. You can have a day that you're going to take and not want to. Exactly. So commit to You're going to want to go get burritos or something. Right. Commit to three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then at least you're training the search engine that says you, they will then know every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you have new content. If Saturday and Sunday you write something, great. If you find that you're going to do that all the time, then commit to that and and schedule it. You know, you, Yeah, and there's tools that allow us to schedule posts out. Like I right. know WordPress, one of their big things is like you can write the content. There's nothing that says it is like, I think we get in this like, Twitter strategy where it's like, oh, greatest thought ever. I'm going to post it. It's out there. The content's there. For things of nature where it's like informational, nonfiction stuff, why does it need to be instant? It can take and be scheduled out, you know, for tomorrow, for Thursday. Like, are there certain days that content is going to be consumed on better, like, are by people better? Like, is it a good day to, pu- is Monday a good day to publish or is it Tuesday? So like- it all, it all depends. You know, 
you have to, everything's on a case by case basis. You know, I would venture to say using the flower analogy that Fridays and Saturdays are probably bigger days than Mondays and Tuesdays. Right. So that, that, that would be, you know, for flowers, because you're usually for the weekend, you're probably going to rank right. there. Because, Maybe it's a date, special yeah. occasion, celebration. Well, Monday could be, I'm sorry for the weekend. <laughs> right, that too. <laughs> I really messed up on Saturday night. Here's a happy Monday. Yeah, sorry about chopping your arm off. Like, it's really, right. really bad. Right, or like the football and out. We go, go the football route. Football generally is happening. Well, now it's like every day of the week. Well, but probably Tuesday, Wednesday would probably not be great. Well, I mean, maybe like you have a Monday night football recap, but there's there's definitely, there's no silver bullet. And if anybody promises you a silver bullet for content, you should take and look at That's a red flag. That's a red flag. So I think um, like knowing that, so it kind of goes back to like, again, what you were talking about before with... um, build that foundation. It all comes down to that regardless of what business you're in. SEO, like you, if you fire something off and it sounds too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. Yes. Um, and it can actually cause you more harm and foul like down the road. Right. And, and a big, big issue with businesses that I've found is when things are going well on the internet, the SEO person is like the biggest hero. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with what they're doing. Maybe you've got offline advertising that's driving something or, or maybe any number of reasons, but then they're always the first one to be blamed if something isn't going right on the web. So having a good open relationship on an ongoing basis is really important. You, know, you can make analytics reports look good from any angle, right. whether they're not, but it's, it's, it's about the expectations you're setting with each other. So I've got my good foundation. Here's my baseline of my traffic. Every month you're creating this content, you're combining it with social media and various other off page uh, marketing and SEO work, and maybe even supplementing it with pay-per-click well, then at the end of the month, like I don't need a whole bunch of numbers. The numbers are, that, that maybe mean something to me, maybe they don't. I want to know what you did, what it yielded, and what, how did that impact my bottom line? Right. What's the ROI of that? And, and, if, and if it didn't work, well, it's slow and steady wins this race. I'm not firing you month one because this is a slow, this is a marathon. You don't right. win the marathon in the first mile. But then I want to understand what did you do why did it work or not work? And why are you going to continue that or do something different? And so you have as a responsibility to educate your customer and your customer has a responsibility to understand what you're saying or ask the questions. So you have that. A good foundation of trust is a two-way street, not set it and forget it. That's, yeah. Never set and forget. That's great. So my last question to you um, is what was your favorite project, like SEO project that you've worked on? Not necessarily the client, but like what was the, like, cause you, you, you've got to find that some of them are extremely challenging to definitely work with certain businesses or market types or something. What was your favorite one that you've done and worked with, you know? I would say my favorite project is more of a type of project versus one specifically. It's where, okay. it's where someone says, this is the amount of money I have. This is what I want to accomplish. Get me a plan and and how can I do that? And, okay. and so I find that to be the most rewarding was when you start with a blank slate or when you start with full control, you know, people 
people want to a lot of situations they want to still choreograph the the movements when right. it, it's it's not like that it's it's like i said it's it's an art form so my favorite is is when i've got that foundation of trust and i'm just told make it better than it is right, right now and so when the stops are all out I find I'm working even harder. I'm working outside of those times and I'm like almost obsessing over it because it's like a game, you know, I'm trying to win. You're growing your Chia pet. Yeah. 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 SEO is a Chia pet. Right. Okay. (laughs) Trademark that. Trademark that. No, I'm not going to put, make a t-shirt or something like that. So like I have another follow-up question there um, from that, which is what like if somebody's trying to hire a professional what should they plan realistically for a budget are they taking like is this tens of dollars is this hundreds of dollars is this thousands of dollars um because some businesses can afford it some can't and you probably want to take and have those relationships like those expectations prior to going into it that's a great question and it's so i will harp on this until we stop recording about building a foundation of trust because i think in my experience People in business want to be sold and say and, and not say, here's my budget. It's what is it gonna cost me? And then they try and negotiate that. You know, it's gonna be a thousand. Well, how about five hundred? Let's meet in the middle at seven fifty. And and that is just not how SEO is set right. up to work. So what I always say is and, and really it requires a good foundation of trust, is to say, what can you afford? And then here's what we're going to do with that. And, and so if, if that's part of the trust building technique is I like to start off with an audit mm-hmm. and that's a flat rate and it's set it and forget it's not set it and forget. It is, here is the audit. And, and on a lot of the audits, I like to also include a plan. Here's of an, how to rectify things you see in the audit. Exactly. You can do that on your own. Here is I, you've paid X amount so of dollars. So you paid for a service. Like this is an audit. This is going to cost you X number of dollars. I've given you the tools. The, the, I've given you the recipe of how to the rest. from what I see to take and do that exactly. And you can do that on your own. You can bid it out, or you can go down that route with me. Who's but, audited? Who's seen where this can right. go and potentially take and rectify with things. no budget in mind? You right. know, pulling out all the stops, including pay per click, including everything. And then they say, "Well, I want to work with you. How much is it going to cost?" And then I say back, well, what do you want to spend on a monthly basis? Keeping in mind, you have to spend it for a year. And what are your goals after this? And can, you should have already established the goals by that. Okay. And if you do an audit, can people say, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that? Like take piece A and piece C. Yes. Or is it kind of like you take it all and it's you have to do it all? So I make I do the audit and if the strategy and plan is part of it, I create it as if there is no budget so they know the full scope of things. And if it's, let's just say, going to be $10,000 a month or $1,000 a month, we'll say, whatever it may be, and they say, I only want five, I only want to use 500 a month or half of whatever that is. And I'm saying, okay, these are the things that I would do to maximize that value. Here are those other things that I'm cutting out because those are slightly less important. Right. And then maybe we add those down the line or maybe we don't. Yeah. And a lot of it's science. It's like it's testing. Like exactly. A versus B, which worked okay. And then augmenting things. So even though there's an audit, there are more generalized approaches, but the specificity of what's going to be done and happen in the future 
is by kind of doing like a Wizard of Oz thing, pulling this lever. Okay, it did this. Let's take and change it. Exactly. Because every, it's not like it's not math where one plus one equals two. Right. Got that right. And, and I make no promises. It was very hard for me to get to that point because you know, again, just like with building websites, you, you want to make these promises, but through good trust and a great foundation with a client or a potential client, to say, look, like. I can't control Google, right. but I can tell you I know what they're looking for. I've got a lot of experience. I've done this, this, and this, and this, this, and this have worked, but that and that and that have not worked. So I'm going to give you the best possible chance to be successful with the with the amount of money that you want to spend, and we're going to constantly look at it. We're going to constantly see how your money has been spent, and we may reach a point where the amount of money you're spending isn't going to help you anymore, and I'm going to tell you that because I'm not going to take your money if I can't benefit from right. it. And, but that's a problem in the industry is there's a lot of people that do, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, with like something that never is going to end, you know, right. if it, SEO is never going to end, it's like, okay, well, you can, that's a residual income that right. you can take and bank on. That's unfortunate. But the onus is on both parties. You know, when there's, I come across so many businesses, whether it's SEO, traditional marketing or whatever, that more money is coming in than going out. So they immediately think everything they're doing is valuable. Hmm. And so if all of a sudden things start going wrong and then you look at your SEO budget and you're like, well, what is this getting me? Nothing. Like that's also as much the client's fault as it is the person who's continuing to do it. Right. Can you ever work with somebody who says, I'm going to put push this SEO stuff off for now for a couple months, like, and then come back in six months and start the contract up again, like take and start a new relationship. Like, does that ever work? Is it bad? Like, would you ever recommend, Hey, let's, it's not performing right now because there's other content. Let's work. Let's pick this up in six months when, you know, football, like you're trying to do sports or something like that. Like, okay, you're not going to rank because no one's looking at uh, field hockey or curling. Everybody's looking at ice hockey stuff now. You're just not going to rank. Uh, I would never say that because that's, that's, I can't think of a situation where it's not true. You know, okay. it's like if you're running a, the Chicago Marathon, you don't stop at mile one and then come back three weeks later, then run the next 20. 20- but pull back from a different level. It's in October here every year. Did you know that you train for six months for a marathon? Right. But so, so six months is half the year. Those other six months, people are thinking about it. They're making their new year's resolutions. They're, you know, how do you prep for training? So all that's gold content. So how is that not 12 months of the year? Right. So it's, it's more of, if you don't want to spend the money for these three months and you want to pick back up, that's okay too. But understand this is how it's going to affect it. Maybe it'll be detrimental. Maybe it won't. But but as long as you're open and honest, it is what it is. If they don't want to pay you for those three months, right. don't do the work at that so point. So just because you're paying it doesn't mean you're getting results. Right. Right. Cool. Um, I just want to open up the floor to you to say, hey, thank you so much. Um. Do you have anything you would like to share with the crowd, the audience, anything like that you can think of? Um, the floor is yours, my good friend. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. It's it's been it's been really enjoyable, and and I and I truly believe not to get too philosophical, but but you get what you give in this world, and so if you're open, you're honest, you 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 communicate clearly and effectively. 
at, you know, you, you will find success. You know, you should always be learning. If you're not forever learning in this world, you're just stagnant. So, you know, reach out and ask for help, ask for knowledge. You know, I, people always, it's like, you know, you see someone that's super successful and you want to be more like them, say to them, you're, you do this, this, and this well, how do you get that? How do you get there? You know, how do you do this? And, and, and who doesn't want to talk about themselves? You know, like it, it, right. it, it's just, you know, what's the worst that can happen in life when you ask someone something, they say no. I mean, that's just like so basic, but you know, I, I think there's a lot of what I would call socks and underwear devs out there that don't, you know, like to get out of the house and, don't like to interact with people and, and you just have to push yourself. You know, for me, I, I I'm a pretty outgoing person, but I've got a development background and I'm, and I'm always kind of pushing myself of, should I pick that technology up? Should I outsource it? Should I learn more here? Should I volunteer there? I mean, I'm constantly trying to better myself and if I can help other people as a positive consequence, that's great. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of nails it right on the head. And Wanted to say again, thank you so much for being on the show. I think what I'm going to do is, if you you don't mind, I'm going to put your Twitter in the show description. So Please. if people have questions um, for myself or for Ryan uh, about you know business development, how to take and start to do like a software agency, like what things that you've done, we've both done it, um, and like SEO, you can reach out to us. Um, again, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being on the show. Um, and what I like to do with every guest that I have on the show is give you a little bit of a token of my appreciation for being on the show. So hold on one second. Let me grab this over here. Ryan, thank you for being on the show. Um, here's a little gift from me to you. And if you can describe what it is to the audience um, and potentially read the inscription on it, it would be great. Well, this is great. It's the Forbes magazine with... Miss Kim Kardashian on the cover, and it says to Ryan, may all your dreams come true. Thank you for supporting being on the show. Patrick, I Autograph copy of Forbes it. for that. So again, I appreciate it. It's been yeah, an honor. It's been great. Again, thank you so much. Um, uh, like I say always, you can find us on the interwebs, wherever I put it. Um, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, you know the drill. Like us, tweet us, do everything. Um, we're here to support. Uh, find us on YouTube. If you have any ideas, questions, comments, concerns, um, you can send it to us via snail mail, whatever. Um, thank you again for listening. Episode two, we're out.